Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 4, Episode 6 for Part 1 of this two-part case. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Over the course of three days at Winchester Crown Court, the jury decided if the evidence the prosecution presented was sufficient enough to prove that Matthew Hamlin stabbed, robbed and bludgeoned to death 77-year-old Georgina Edmonds on the wet and grey afternoon of January 11, 2008. Hamlin had been in custody for the past 12 months since he was charged with murder, but always denied his involvement. As he stood in the dock at Winchester Crown Court, a unanimous verdict was handed down. A gasp rang out through court number three. Tears could be seen in the eyes of Hamlin's family, along with some jurors as they wept following the verdict. Since he had been in custody, his partner Emma White had given birth to a baby boy. Georgina Edmonds' family were in shock and looked visibly upset as they were led from the courtroom by police. Matthew Hamlin was found not guilty. 
after the verdict, Judge Sir David Clark thanked jurors and told them they would not be required to carry out jury service for another 10 years. He thanked the families of the accused and the victim, who were sat in the public gallery, for acting with dignity and respect. To the family of Mrs Edmonds, they have the sympathy of everybody in the court for their sad loss and for the stress of the last four years, he said. I recognise that that stress is not over. Outside Winchester Crown Court, a crowd of photographers and cameramen chased after a black 4x4 transporting Matthew Hamlin, who was now a free man. David Pride, Assistant Chief Constable of the Hampshire Constabulary, gave a statement. It is the policy of Hampshire Constabulary that unsolved homicides are never closed. This investigation will be reviewed in accordance with the criteria set under national guidelines. Our thoughts at this time are with Mrs Edmonds' family and members of the local community who still seek some form of closure and to see justice done. Thank you. Following the pronouncement that Georgina Edmonds' case would never be closed until the person responsible was brought to justice, the press began to ask if Matthew Hamlin was not guilty, then who was? And how would the police catch him? The property had been swabbed top to bottom for DNA and at the time there was only a partial DNA profile found on the rolling pin which police had initially linked to Hamlin. Daryl Martin, who had spoken with Matthew Hamlin on the day Georgina Edmonds was killed, believed his friend was innocent. It's hard to comprehend anybody doing such a crime, let alone somebody that I was close to and knew very well. With me, he was was honest, he would do absolutely anything, you know, heart of gold, to be honest. My heart goes out to his mother, who's been, you know, dragged through the fences and the edges and her life turned upside down. I feel for Matt, how his, his life's been turned into utter hell and I hope he gets all the compensation that he deserves. I feel desperately sorry for Georgina's family and Georgina herself. It's such a hideous thing, I can't even start to comprehend how, how that must feel. And hopefully they will get justice, but the right justice. Three hundred and fifty people had been investigated as potential suspects. Thousands of members of the public had called with tips. Tens of thousands of pieces of documentation had been generated to aid the inquiry and the investigation had reportedly cost well into seven figures, but the case still remained unsolved. Harry Edmonds voiced his confidence in Hampshire Police, describing the murder investigation as world-class and saying he had no criticism of their approach. He described the family liaison officers, or flows, that supported him and his sister as firm friends. While he did not want to be in court when the verdict was read out and Matthew Hamlin was acquitted, he said, It may not be immediately, but I feel certain we will one day get justice. An inquest into the death of Georgina Edmonds was held in May 2012 and a verdict of unlawful killing was recorded. (laughs) 
Harry Edmonds and his family would have to wait nearly three years before any progress was made on the case, when the press announced that someone had been arrested and charged in connection with his mother's murder. The male, who could not be named for legal reasons, was held on remand after appearing at Winchester Crown Court. Reporting restrictions were put in place, so little news about the progress of the investigation was made available to the public. It wouldn't be until the start of 2016, eight years since Georgina Edmonds had been stabbed and beaten to death, that a second trial for her murder would take place. The staff at Winchester Crown Court could well have been experiencing a feeling of deja vu, as Matthew Hamlin again stood in the dock. In the past, the double jeopardy laws within England and Wales meant that a person could not be tried for a second time for the same crime. However, after changes to the law under the Criminal Justice Act of 2003, which came into force during 2005, a retrial was permitted for certain crimes. These included murder, rape, manslaughter and other violent acts such as armed robbery and kidnapping, and all of this providing the Court of Appeal dismissed the acquittal and a retrial had been agreed by the Director of Public Prosecutions. This change in the law was recommended following a public inquiry into the murder investigation of Stephen Lawrence, a black British teenager who was killed in a racially motivated attack. Sir William McPherson, who led the inquiry, suggested that if fresh and compelling evidence was available, then a retrial should be possible. While Stephen Lawrence's killers would not be the first to be affected by the change in the law, they would finally face justice when they were sentenced in January 2012, almost 19 years after the crime. Before Matthew Hamlin's second trial, there had been six previous retrials which were made possible by this change in the law, and all six had led to guilty verdicts. The judge, Mr Justice Saunders, reminded the jury of the changes to the law, but insisted that their verdict should only be made on the evidence presented at this trial. He handed them some written guidance, which was worded as follows. You are to try this defendant on an allegation of murder. You will decide that on the evidence that you hear in this courtroom and nothing else. You will hear that the defendant has already been tried by a jury for this offence, and that jury found him not guilty. I am telling you this because it will inevitably come out in the evidence. It used to be the law that a person could not be tried again for an offence after he had been acquitted. It was known as the rule against double jeopardy. That rule has been abolished by Parliament, and it is now possible in certain circumstances for a defendant to be retried following an acquittal. The fact that a previous jury has found the defendant not guilty is irrelevant to your decision. You will decide this case on the evidence that you hear in this courtroom only and decide for yourselves whether on that evidence you are sure of guilt. If you are sure of guilt, you will convict the defendant. If you are not sure, you will acquit him. The presumption of innocence applies to this defendant in the same way as it does any other. You should put out of your mind the fact that there has been a previous trial, except in so far as it is raised in evidence. 
Opening the second trial, Prosecutor Michael Bowes QC told jurors that Matthew Hamlin's DNA had been lifted from the sleeve of Georgina's blouse that she had been wearing at the time of her death. During 2014, the forensic evidence recovered from the scene was again tested after a detailed evaluation. An expert witness would tell the court that it was 26 million times more likely that a sample of DNA retrieved from the item of clothing belonged to Hamlin than someone not related to him. Along with the new DNA findings, Bose went over the evidence that was presented in the first trial, including footage of a man attempting to use Georgina Edmonds' bank card and her possessions that had been stolen. The Edmonds family had to again revisit the crime as photos of the scene and of Georgina's body were handed to jurors. The highly graphic images showed the knife wounds and a skull fracture. The prosecutor played the recordings between Matthew Hamlin and his mother in which the two discussed Hamlin's whereabouts. In the recording, Hamlin can be heard saying that he might have an alibi and then his mother whispers, I can speak to Sarah. The other thing is I might have an alibi for it as well. What do you mean? When they first interviewed me, I'd, um, I'd, I got a clue where I was. But I remember I went around to um, Gary and Sarah's, who live around the corner from Joanne. Yeah. And I think I went in there with Gary and I um, I said, well, I didn't. He said, that's ridiculous. I said, you're not even the right size for it. I said, well, I don't know what I was. And Sarah got out of her diary and she flipped through, looked at the date and she said, um, yeah, he was with me. The, I think it was a party or something. And she, so she, I, I don't know that I was, I can't remember, but she said that he was here on that date because she looked in her diary. And I was going to tell the police when they first interviewed me, but Gary had a warrant out for his arrest. So I didn't tell him. And I've told my solicitor about this now. But he said, unless you're completely sure about something, don't say it, because if I tell him what that, and I go around and see Sarah and Sarah's, don't go with it, then it's going to do me more harm than good. So he's going to, he's done it whether to speak to Sarah and see whether she's still going to... Yeah, see if she's still going to make that, or he said it could do me more harm than good. Closing his opening statement, Michael Bowes QC said, The evidence paints a compelling, albeit terrible, picture. Harry Edmonds again took the stand, reliving the moment he found his mother after she had been beaten to death. She was lying face down, he said. There was blood, a pool of blood around her head, quite substantial. In the middle of her head was a large pinkish dent. Groundskeeper Ian Wrightson also recounted for a second time his day's routine on January 11th, 2008, and when he, Harry Edmonds and another groundskeeper discovered Georgina's body. He had taken Georgina's dogs for a walk around 8am in the morning and spoke to her for approximately 20 minutes before leaving. He again took the dogs for a walk around 4.50pm and at that time noticed the lights in the property were off. 
Coincidentally, Harry had called his mother at that time, but received no response. Entering through the kitchen door after being unable to contact the 77-year-old, Wrightson could make out Georgina's son in the darkness, who gained entry to the property through an open window. After reaching for the light switch, the pair were greeted with the sight of Harry's mother lying on the floor, covered in blood. They raised the alarm, and Ian Wrightson testified that, rightly or wrongly, he placed two towels over Georgina's body. One over the lower part of her body which had been exposed, and the other over her head, which was covered in blood. He then went outside to get some air. The jury were played the call made by Harry Edmonds. Police emergency. This is an emergency. I, I've just come down to my house. Um, my mother has a cottage a hundred yards away. Right. Um, I've got no reply from her. I've come in through her bedroom window, which was, was unlocked. She's lying on the floor in the kitchen, and it looks to me as if she's been hit. She's been, she's been hit over the head. She looks as if she's dead. Georgina's extensive injuries had been inflicted rapidly or while she was restrained. Pathologist Dr Hugh White could find no defensive marks on her hands. The panic alarm worn around her wrist had not been activated. The pathologist who had given evidence at the first trial explained that the wounds were delivered with some degree of deliberation rather than force. He believed it possible the marble rolling pin found in the kitchen had been used as the murder weapon, which the jury were able to inspect. Addressing why it had taken so long to test further DNA evidence from Georgina Edmonds' clothing, crime scene manager Detective Inspector Martin Shudley detailed the method through which sticky tape is used to lift a sample from items. He stressed it was difficult with evidence that had been highly bloodstained, as it was doubtful they could obtain a valid result. A large number of items retrieved from the scene were examined. These included the marble rolling pin and both the trousers and blouse Georgina was wearing. DNA was extracted from the rolling pin using tape and it underwent chemical analysis for fingerprints. Concerning the clothing, Georgina's trousers were tested initially with eight separate results revealing a negative outcome. While tape samples were taken from her blouse, given the negative results from her trousers, it was decided that the tape would not be tested. It wasn't until Matthew Hamlin's acquittal, and the case was subsequently reviewed in 2014, the samples taken from the blouse were finally tested. When speaking about the management of the crime scene and evidence, Detective Inspector Chudley told the court that only registered personnel who wore forensic overalls, masks and protective footwear could gain access so as to not cause any contamination. Counsel for the defence quizzed several prosecution witnesses as there was a score mark on the sticky tape used to extract the DNA profile from the blouse. The mark on the tape was never identified by Cellmark Forensic Services when the exhibit first arrived at their laboratory in Chorley and it was alleged by the defence that the tape had been contaminated. This was only realised by a forensic expert testifying for the defence during the second trial. 
but upon further examination of the archived images of the evidence, taken during 2008 when it was in the custody of the Forensic Science Service, the score mark was visible. The defence questioned further the handling of evidence by Cellmark Forensic Services, specifically Georgina's blouse. It was suggested that contamination may have occurred on July 27, 2010, when Hamlin provided a mouth swab and a hair sample on the same day that the blouse arrived at the laboratory. Also on September 15, 2011, some of Hamlin's clothing was sent to the Hampshire Constabulary, with Georgina's blouse also returning that same day. It was proposed to the jury by the defence that as the exhibits were being transported at the same time, it could very well be possible contamination could have occurred. Michael Appleby, a forensic expert, testified about the evidence and the subsequent results and was asked if there was any chance of cross-contamination during the six years the blouse had been kept in evidence. I can't conceive of how that could have occurred, he said. Asked why it had taken so long to test the blouse, Appleby explained that the chance of finding something of value was not high enough to prove useful, as it came from the upper part of Georgina's clothing, which would have included an incredibly large amount of forensic material, making analysis difficult. Further testimony was given by forensic scientist Geraldine Davidson, who said, The presence of cellular material on the left sleeve is, as I might expect, as if it had been deposited during the incident. It is all consistent with one person, and all of it matches Matthew Hamlin. Sonia Marshall, another forensic expert, was questioned about the result taken from the sticky tape, which had been used to retrieve the DNA evidence. She said it was a, quote, high match probability that the person the DNA belonged to was Matthew Hamlin. While the blouse contained DNA that was 26 million times more likely to have come from anyone unrelated to Hamlin, further statistics surrounding the result taken from the DNA sample found on the rolling pin was said to be 800 times more likely to be a mixed profile belonging to Georgina Edmonds, Matthew Hamlin and another third person than it was to be of Georgina Edmonds and two other people unrelated to Hamlin. Under cross-examination, Hamlin's defence counsel William Mousley QC, brother to Tim Mousley who had also been defending Hamlin, presented the jury with notes made by the forensic expert in which she wrote that the results were tantamount to a shot in the dark. Further summarising the results, she went on to write, This is very unsafe and not at all robust. The police should have no illusions that they have the perpetrator's DNA. Sonia Marshall explained that the results extracted from the rolling pin, in which a portion matched Hamlin's DNA, could have matched hundreds and hundreds of people. Jury members were shown the CCTV footage of the man attempting to withdraw money from Georgina Edmonds' bank account at an ATM on Twyford Road late on the evening of January 11, 2008. Like the first jury, they were also taken to the scene of the crime and the towpath where the mobile phone was found. 
transcripts from interviews Hamlin had with police were also read to the court, in which he admitted that he owed money for a drug debt and was threatened with violence if he did not pay them back. Furthermore, when asked if he had sexual intercourse with the victim, he did not help his cause when he said the chances of him not having an interaction of a sexual nature was a, quote, percentage in the 90s. I don't think anything's ever 100%. Not many things are guaranteed, he said. He repeatedly stated he could not recall if he had been at Fig Tree Cottage on January 11th, 2008, telling detectives to move on with that line of questioning. Asked if he touched the rolling pin, he said, not to the best of my knowledge, and when pressed if someone else was with him who committed the murder, he said, no, I cannot honestly account for my whereabouts on that date three years ago. I haven't witnessed anyone else murder anyone. That would ring a bell. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. As the defense opened their arguments five weeks into the second trial, William Mousley QC pointed to Matthew Hamlin and said, Take a good long look at him and listen to what he has to say. What possible reason did he have 
and would he be capable of these things? Disputing the accuracy of the prosecution's evidence, he said, What you are going to hear is whether or not some or all of the evidence will cause those pillars not just to be shaken, but to crumble. From the stand, Matthew Hamlin denied he was the man at the ATM attempting to withdraw money and also denied murdering Georgina Edmonds. He had been in four police identity parades and not a single witness had picked him out of the lineup. Cross-examined by Prosecutor Michael Bose QC, a heated exchange began between him and the defendant. There's only one reason why your DNA was on Georgina Edmonds' blouse and on that rolling pin. That's because you killed her, didn't you? Hamlin replied, No, I didn't. Becoming frustrated, Hamlin went on to say, If you hadn't sneakily recorded a conversation between me and my mum and tried to set me up, this never would have come out. I did not do this. You got caught out in a lie, didn't you? Hamlin replied, I didn't get caught out at all. What you've been trying to do throughout is to conceal your true behaviour, Bose said. I thought the police were lying to me. I asked them 27 times, explain this to me, exclaimed Hamlin. Michael Bose QC replied, There's only one person who's lying, Mr Hamlin, and that's you. No further questions. Matthew Hamlin spoke of the anguish he felt when he was arrested in June of 2010. I could not eat or sleep. It wasn't a nice time. It was disbelief, shock. I was concerned for my mother, my family. I knew it would be over the press. My career was ruined. Basically, they destroyed my life, he said. Going on to describe his life up to that point, he said he was born in Hampshire and spent most of his life in Bishopstoke, a village three and a half miles south of the crime scene. He told the court that he had dreams of being a fighter pilot, but after damaging an eye, it was something he was no longer able to pursue. He found work in construction before forging a career as an electrician, which he had been doing for the last 17 years. An electrician who Hamlin had done some subcontracting work for denied he had ever seen the defendant wearing a fluorescent jacket and described Hamlin's work ethic as probably the best I've ever known. Another former colleague, Tom Moore, stated, He's a great guy. He's a good friend of mine. Loyal, honest and good fun. He's a hard worker. Very committed. Hamlin had married the mother of his child in 2014 after he was acquitted of Georgina Edmonds' murder. Since the first trial, he had no run-ins with the law, but his criminal record was read to the court. One caution for causing a dangerous occurrence on the road, another for the possession of cocaine. He also had three convictions, the first for battery in 2003 and two more the following year, driving without due care and criminal damage. He had struck the windscreen of an ex-girlfriend's car. Speaking to his caution for the possession of cocaine, Hamlin admitted that he had used the drug, a fact revealed during his first trial in which he said he had developed a £100 a week habit 
though denied he had a drug problem. He said his use of cocaine lasted up until his early 30s, a period of time which coincided with his arrest. Amlin testified that he no longer took the drug. Jurors retired after the prosecution and defence gave their closing arguments. A verdict was reached three hours later. In 2012, every juror in the first trial found Matthew Hamlin not guilty of the murder of Georgina Edmonds. Four years later, on February 23, 2016, he would not be so lucky. Hamlin, a father and stepfather, was found guilty by a majority verdict. During mitigation, William Mousley QC agreed it was a violent crime, brought on by opportunistic conduct, though he was sure his client's act of murder was formed only moments before the fatal blow was struck. His good conduct over the last eight years and his family's circumstances are relevant for the court to consider, and he is not to be punished for the delay in the proceedings reaching their conclusion, Mousley said. We submit that Matthew Hamlin must be regarded now as a very different character, a married man who is a father, has a home and a steady job. A packed court heard the judge, Mr Justice Saunders, describe the crime as exceptionally serious. The minimum term is not the sentence that I pass, the judge said, nor necessarily the time that Matthew Hamlin will serve in prison. It may be that he will not be released at the end of his minimum term or will ever be released. The judge went on to say, As I have indicated, there are aggravating features of the offence, but there are also limited mitigating features. They are, in my judgment, the fact that the defendant has been through two trials, but more importantly, he has, on the evidence, lived a blameless life for the four years since his acquittal. The evidence was that he is a hard-working family man who has been prepared to help others when they needed help. It may well be that he is a different man now than he was in 2008. For those who may think that the minimum term I am going to impose is too short, it should be remembered that Matthew Hamlin will qualify as an old-age pensioner by the time he is eligible for release. The sentence of the court is one of life imprisonment, Taking all the matters into account, the minimum period will be 30 years. The time spent on remand before the first trial and the time on remand after his re-arrest should be calculated and count towards the minimum period. As Matthew Hamlin was led away by two court officials, clapping could be heard from the public gallery. Outside Winchester Crown Court, Harry Edmonds said the case had almost as many twists and turns as an Agatha Christie thriller, but the investigation which lasted eight years was not written to entertain people. I should remind you 
Matthew Hamlin stabbed my mother 37 times and then beat her to death with a marble rolling pin. The death penalty is no longer a sentencing option for judges in this country. In my view, it is a matter of great regret that we can no longer ex execute the loathsome individuals who commit crimes of this magnitude. I now have an opportunity on behalf of my sister... A spokesperson for the Hampshire Constabulary said, The entire team of police officers, police staff, prosecution barristers, forensic scientists and colleagues from the Crown Prosecution Service have been absolutely dedicated to putting together the best possible case and presenting the facts to the jury. Every moment has been worth it to finally see Hamlin behind bars and justice served. In a highly secretive process, the Hampshire Constabulary are taking the results of their forensic discovery to the Court of Appeal to have Hamlin's acquittal quashed. Detective Inspector Martin Chudley was praised for the work he did on the case and would later receive recognition at the Police Federation National Detectives Forum Awards. Chudley spoke to the Southern Daily Echo about the frustrations with the investigation and his determination to find a clear profile in the results. He had continued looking at the forensic evidence despite being told a re-examination was unlikely to work. He was hailed a hero by the Edmonds family. I get three cups of tea now whenever I visit the major crime team. That's enough of a reward for me, he said. You are there to do a job, to find those responsible and discover what happened, and to ultimately give a family some sense of peace. I don't think there are words to describe how I feel now. Probably just relief. It is just relief and both personal and professional satisfaction this is a job done. Doddy Edmonds, who had been working as a nurse in Sudan when her mother was killed, spoke of her hopes for justice before the outcome of the trial. I think I just probably carry it around in a little box somewhere in the back of my head, um, always hopeful but never too hopeful, um, that we'll get justice. But the, but the whole point is it'll never bring my mother back. That's the thing. And it's good, yes, and we need justice but it doesn't bring her back. After the verdict, Doddy went on to say, Nobody deserves their life to end that way, especially Mummy, who was a small and frail little lady who loved her home and was always so happy. Now I'm back in England, I would give anything to have shared my life with her, but all of that has been stolen from me. So where are we now? In March 2016, it was reported that Elderfield House, the hostel where four arrests were made during the initial inquiry into Georgina Edmonds' death, would be closing its doors. Following cuts by Hampshire County Council, the rehabilitation centre which housed 17 ex-offenders at the time had struggled to find funding, though it was hoped it might be reopened later in the year to support those with less complex health needs. Staff at the hostel faced redundancy, and most of the residents being supported had mental health issues and were being assessed to find accommodation somewhere else. 
a resident was reported as saying, Some people say it's not a nice place to live, but it's a lot better than being on the street. After his conviction, Matthew Hamlin continued to protest his innocence. His family built a website that questions the evidence presented at trial, which includes analysis of the footage taken at the ATM. Using the size of the tiles on the floor around the machine, they have estimated that the person in the fluorescent jacket has size 12 feet, but Matthew Hamlin is size 10. They have also questioned why if the person were Matthew, would he use an ATM so close to his home? Hamlin's family are confident that the DNA evidence used to convict him was contaminated. A representative for the campaign was interviewed and said, Misinterpretation, human error, contamination and simple laboratory accidents are not as rare as people think. This is especially the case when the evidence is based on touch DNA, so named because it requires only very small samples such as skin cells left on an object after it has been handled. Highlighting the frequency of miscarriages of justice and a £50,000 reward, the representative went on to say, Many innocent people have spent years incarcerated for crimes they did not commit, leaving the real perpetrators at large. Matthew is a hard-working family man, and the picture painted by the prosecution does not ring true with those closest to him. The campaign is utterly convinced of Matthew's innocence. We believe the reward demonstrates our belief that someone holds a key piece of evidence that will lead to the real killer and Matthew's subsequent acquittal. Matthew Hamlin applied for leave to appeal his sentence. His defence counsel, William Mousley QC, argued that as jurors were told about the first trial by the judge, it may have implied to them that his client had gotten away with murder and strengthened the jury's resolve to convict. Mousley said telling them about the quote, irrelevant matter of the first trial was grossly unfair and made the conviction unsafe. It was also argued that the judge erred when he allowed elements of Hamlin's interview with police in which the appellant was asked if he sexually assaulted Georgina Edmonds. There was no forensic evidence to suggest this was the case and William Mousley QC argued it was highly prejudicial to the appellant. Along with Lord Justice Fulford, Mrs Justice Chima Grubb and Judge Peter Collier QC dismissed the first reason for appeal explaining that omitting information about the first trial would have led to some confusion for the jury, as the evidence exhibit dates would have jumped from 2010 to 2014, making the need to explain that there had been another trial relevant. While at first they were not given the date of the initial trial, the prosecution suggested that the jury be informed when the evidence of the blouse came up. This was presented to the jury in the form of media reports, including those from the BBC, to avoid any speculation. On this matter, the judges commented, In our judgment and notwithstanding Mr Mousley's able submissions, 
the approach adopted by the judge was wholly correct. He reached an entirely sustainable decision that the overwhelming likelihood was that the jury would learn or would need to be told that this was a retrial. In regards to the suggestion that the judge erred in letting the jury know that Matthew Hamlin had been questioned whether or not he sexually assaulted the victim, the appeal judges commented, on the basis that there had been apparent interference with the deceased's lower garments, together with the appellant's cellular material being found on her blouse, the prosecution in our judgment was entitled to pursue the suggestion that this attack might have had an element of sexual motivation. There was a credible basis for that suggestion, and it was one that the prosecution could legitimately explore. The three judges' findings concluded, This was, in our view, arguably a strong case, certainly a case that properly went to the jury, and in the result, and intending no disrespect to the skillful and well-ordered submissions of Mr. Mousley, we do not consider that this application for leave to appeal, once analysed carefully, is arguable and is refused. As the proceedings came to a close, counsel for the defence, William Mousley QC, addressed the judges and said, the only other issue we raise is this. It seems to us putting to one side the fact of a retrial and pushing to one side the date of the retrial. There may be a point of principle here concerning the circumstances in which previous acquittals should be referred to when someone is tried for the same offence again. Lord Justice Fulford replied, I do not think you can apply for leave to appeal to the Supreme Court on refusal of an application for leave to appeal. William Mousley QC responded, Then that may be the end of it. Matthew Hamblin's application to be granted leave to appeal was denied, and unless fresh evidence should emerge, he will remain behind bars for the murder of Georgina Edmonds. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on your podcast player, and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For our listeners in the UK, you can purchase a copy of our book They Walk Among Us, available to order from all good bookshops. For further information, please see our show notes or visit our website at theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.